0: We're operating in a worldview and a theology. we are like, no, 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 your relationship with the earth matters. Your relationship with your soul matters.
1: There's this place as an artist when everyone else is running for cover from the rain. You want to climb the church steeple and you want to get struck by lightning. At the end of the day, you
0: don't get a medal for being in pain and not taking anything. All you do is hurt everyone around you. John
2: kind of thinks for a moment, and he
0: goes, This is the thing that I would want every young man to know. Hey guys, I know it's hard to believe, but this is our last episode of our first season of the Anson's podcast.
2: We know what you're thinking. Without the Anson's podcast, there will be darkness and chaos. And we know that. So we've taken it under consideration and we've decided we're going to come back in June, on the 6th, after the month of May, when your summer is really teed up and ready to go. So don't forget we exist. We back in a month we've got a great episode for you today, talking with Padre, who some of you may know as John Eldridge, kind of the season in review, what it teed up for him, what thoughts it provoked, what he wanted to direct our attention to. Great back and forth conversation on the takeaways of season one. Hope you dig it. So dad, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. We know you've been listening to the season and offering your thoughts episode to episode But what we wanted to do in this conversation was ask what you noticed as you listened to the episodes. And I know you have a lot of thoughts about where young men are right now and what some of the things are facing them. So just open up the table for uh, the first season of the Ansons podcast. What did this spark
1: for you? Yeah, I was reflecting back on on your opening season. And one of the things that struck me was. Something C.S. Lewis wrote in an introduction to a very small book of his, very seldom known. It's uh, Lewis's Reflections on the Psalms. And Lewis felt a little bit of, I guess, self consciousness in writing a book on the Psalms because he actually wasn't a trained theologian. That wasn't, you know, he was, he taught medieval literature in in Cambridge and Oxford. And um, so he writes an introduction. That is so true to what you guys are doing. I wanted to quote this. He says, it often happens that two students can solve difficulties in their work for one another better than the teacher can. When you took the problem to the teacher, as we all remember, he was very likely to explain what you understood already, to add a great deal of information which you didn't want, and say nothing at all about the thing that was puzzling you. And then Lewis goes on to say, I've watched this from both sides of the net. For when, as a teacher myself, I've tried to answer questions brought to me by my students, I have sometimes after a minute seen that expression settle down on their faces, which assured me that they were suffering exactly the same frustration which I had suffered from my own teachers. The fellow student can help more than the teacher because he knows less The difficulty we want him to explain is one he has recently met. I love that. Love the humility of it. Love so good. Love the honesty of it, right? That, frankly, sometimes it's more helpful to swap notes with your pals and go, hey, this this is what I'm thinking about success. This is what I'm thinking about love. This is, you know, is this what you're encountering? Is this what you're running into? And so I think that... I think that's one of the great gifts that you guys have been offering to your listeners um, is swapping notes, right? Hey, how's it going for you? Because this is sure what it's like for, for us.
2: Totally. You know, that's been one of the really fun things about recording this season. And just to see this described, like, I'm really grateful to have older guys in my life that I can ask about marriage, that I can ask about life, and they'll give me pieces of advice that are incredibly helpful. But it is true that a lot of the times the amount of time that I have to spend like clarifying my question or like what the pain is (laughs) is longer than the actual part of the conversation that's like, oh well, here are some things to consider in your life and walk with God. And, you know, fortunately not fortunately right now, Sam and I overlap in so many areas of life that we realized we were already coming into the office in the morning and being like, oh, hey, uh, your daughter was up all night crying. Like, what did you do? And he'd say what he did. Or, you know, he's like, yeah, I've just been in the final stages of Susie's pregnancy, like learning the gift of blessing her emotions. And I was like, oh, what a helpful thing. And, you know, all of that is really current. So
1: Yeah, It's, it's like that great scene from Band of Brothers where the new recruits come in and they... Um, they've just parachuted into Holland, and the new recruit, they're walking through the field, and he's already fixing his bayonet. You know, he's scared to death, right? And so he, he's putting his bayonet on the end of his rifle, and and one of the, quote, older guys, who only two years ago was one of the younger guys, right, says, hey, yeah, don't don't put that on. It actually affects your accuracy. It's going to mess up your shooting. You know, just kind of, we're in it right now. This is real-time stuff, And and So as I was looking back, like your podcast on success, um, which opened the series, the season for you guys, podcast on marriage, podcast on young fathering, last week's with Luke, those really cluster in that, hey, can we swap notes for a minute? Yeah, I'm just so
2: glad that we recorded the success episode and then never were stressed out again about where our numbers
0: were. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you really can only talk about things that you've conquered. And so we've really conquered the whole issue with success and envisioning ourselves as successful young men. I like the the Banner Brothers metaphor or example because um, I think a lot of what I've experienced over the years is maybe advice from the general instead of the guy next to you yeah. who's saying, you know, like, yeah, it is going to take hard work and marriage can be difficult. It's meant to make you holy. And and you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, I'm supposed to scale what? Yeah. Like, are you looking at the same wall I'm looking yeah, at? You're looking at a map. That's from 30,000 feet. Yeah, you, and and from 30 years ago yeah. for you. And so, yeah. yes, and, and, that, and that also kind of depends on who you're talking to and the context you're in. But there is a lot of that kind of looking from side to side going, okay, so like Luke... You have just been hit in the face with your reality. Talk about it. like Be honest with it. And I think us naming that, uh, I've I've hoped that in us being vulnerable with our stories in ways that we're succeeding and failing um, has, I think, struck as being authentic with other Mm -hmm. guys, as being true to where other people are, Mm -hmm. and there's been encouragement and hope in that because then it's hey look i found a handhold here like this is how we get over this cliff there's a handhold here there's a crack there and we can get over it
2: yeah Yeah. i think one of our hopes too is ben simply to invite guys to the table that in listening to the conversations and listening to the podcast like uh it's been so fun just to have in mind like luke my friends guys i met in college is um it's really true that when you are in it like a little bit of reflection goes a long way. But it's really helpful to have, like, you know, Mm -hmm. a brother who is reading something and will bring a quote to the table that he recently read um, about story and that happened to be Dan Allender or that he recently stumbled on something from Martin Luther King Jr. And, like, you know, it doesn't take a ton, but a few pieces of, like, oh, I was actually thinking about that problem of success and I read this is super helpful from someone who's in
1: it. Yeah. So thinking back on some of those early podcasts, um, the one on success, a couple of things that that stood out to me um, was wrestling with, you know what is success? What does success look like for a younger man? Um, not trying to bring what success looks like for an older man upon a younger man because that's crushing. Like, you're just not going to be there yet, and that that's really kind. I think the subtext behind that conversation, too, was, hey, you know, this is a different economy, uh, frankly, than the, than the economy that our father stepped into when they were looking for work and starting their lives out. So it's a, it's a rougher situation to be getting going in. And um, the recession had a lasting Im- impact on the work that's available and... And what salaries are like, and and that sort of thing. And so, for you guys to offer some thoughts on success of you know what, can we change the direction of that for a minute? Can, can we talk about the person you're becoming? Uh, can we talk about character? Um, can we talk about a willingness to learn? That was mm-hmm. that was huge, and and so immensely helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the language that even that brought up in our podcast with the three of us and Alan of like, we get focused on those secondary and tertiary, those tier two, tier three things that are, you know, what car am I driving and what size apartment am I living in? And we forget about those, those deeper motivators, those deeper, like, oh man, I would just want like to have everything buttoned down because I'm terrified of things not going well and things aren't. And so the best thing I can do right now is just focus on some of those secondary and tertiary things um which yeah is all through the, not only the success podcast but like the marriage as well and you end up seeing like those tier two tier three things seem to me to be like the symptoms um you know you start seeing like i was short with susie about something this is a hypothetical example i've never been short with susie in my life and oh, not not that i would seen <laughs> um and that like in conversation if you admit that then you can begin to flesh out like oh oh like i am learning how to love her well and in the case of success like the whole idea of pensions are gone like the the work the work has changed absolutely and so it has shifted from uh well how do you shift from a part-time job to a full-time jobs to a company job and you know work in the mail room and kind of get your way up instead to what's the effect of the world when you enter into it which is a great thing that blaine mentioned like Love that. That's that's changing the paradigm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it really is. And and um speaking of Susie, speaking of marriage, the marriage podcast, one of the things that you guys said that was just so rich was um changing the topic of marriage to one of restoration. That I want to be an advocate for her restoration. And that is very, very different than a lot of the tips and technique stuff that you get at the typical church conference on marriage or you know young marrieds book and and there's the very very helpful practical advice in there you betcha you know about budgets and how money can be the big you know pressure and and uh, conflict maker and that sort of thing that's all very very helpful but when you guys were talking about i want to i want to be a student of her heart I want to learn her heart right that um that was great stuff
0: Yeah, some of those tips and techniques to me can feel very, uh, almost the end goal is that it's better for you, right? Like if the finances aren't stressful or if you're taking care of your health, then maybe she'll take care of her health and then maybe your sex life is going to get better. And it's like the end motivation still ends up being a little bit selfish, if we're honest. Um, But what we were naming in that podcast was like, I need to earn the right to hear her story. And if i haven't heard her story mm. like i am very unfamiliar with this woman and i might mm. commit a great number of you know sins and damage to her that i'm not aware of and in which case the ends become her being better and me being better is like a uh, kind of like a side bonus that's not actually like the sneaky
2: yeah
0: end goal there
2: yeah and it transitions really well from the success podcast because. It feels like often in marriage advice, the goal is to cooperate in order to function as well as you possibly can in the marriage, maybe to achieve as much as you can in a marriage, versus that actually a lot of the goal of the marriage is who your wife becomes and her flourishing. Mm-hmm. And shifting that focus from like, um, it's great to operate well together. And I've, you know, benefited from Tips on handling conversations and handling finances and things like that, but that doesn't do nearly as much good as real transformation and my wife becoming uh, more trusting in her life with God, experiencing more of the love of the Father, uh, getting healing in the places of the little girl. Like yeah. that produces uh, a significant
1: and lasting change. So, so here's here's one of the subtexts I want to I want to name from this season guys are you guys are talking about who you are becoming is as important to think about as how do you land that job, what does dating look like? What does sex look like? What, you know, the different, you know, topics that that you're hitting, which is great, great stuff. Artistry with Mark Evans and the different things. And and what I'm struck by is something that Dallas Willard said. He said, um, the one thing that you take with you from this life is the person you become. That that's it. That's the one thing that carries over into your unending life uh, in the kingdom is the person that you become, who who, who you are becoming. And and that, just want to name that as the subtext of a lot of the conversations that have taken place, and it's. It's great stuff. That's a really good quote. Um, When I think about most of the materials that were out there before
0: we started Ansons three or three years ago, um, most of the advice and uh, resources for young guys was was kind of on like getting your life in order, but like how to do like a great cocktail, how to dress sharp, how to make sure your man cave looks good. So that when you bring a woman home you don't totally mess it up um, and it it felt like all of these all these resources were kind of stacked for how to make your life work
1: oh literally how to tie a bow tie it's oh, like yeah. one of the most popular
0: I'm, I found it to be very helpful
1: <laughs> articles out there for young men right? yeah
0: right and it's the it's the end it's like that's where that conversation stops um and I, I just, I think it's you're naming that we were making some assumptions here that we, I don't know we ever stated as we walked into it of like, there's more to what we're after than just, uh, what's the best cologne that's just earthy enough and maybe woodsy with a little bit of whiskey f- notes. Like, how do I, I, I care about grooming, like, but there's a point. Like we care about Colorado grooming.
2: <laughs> That's a really cool uh, North Face quarter zip you got there, Sam.
0: So. Yeah, uh, it's our Turks, and it does have a little bit of um, spit up on it from our baby. So oh. I noticed that.
1: In fact, um, actually, I think I recognize that. Hey, <laughs> think I recognize that. Wait, what was your thoughts on what Dad just I've said? I've been missing that Arcturix, please. <laughs> oh, it's. I think yeah.
2: Um, to put it in a sentence, it really felt like a lot of the content out there was how do you act like yes, a exactly. real man and wanting to focus on how you become a real man. Yeah. Um, but even that thing you just mentioned there like that Dallas Willard's insight is really based on having like a longer term and eternal mindset, yes. but even having like a lifelong mindset is a big step for a young man things have happened in really fast periods and a lot of stuff happens in your 20s that happens in two to three year chunks and so even trying to bring to the table like hey like um maybe the shortest reasonable chunk to think about your life might be a decade mm-hmm. and then the next way to think about your life is a lifetime and then the next way to think of your life is like as an eternal being so like um trying to push back yep. um
1: just the vision
2: of young men generally
1: and there was something very you see the connection of those two ideas in your guys' conversation with Bart and John recently on money. Um, uh, those were guys who had had made some money in their twenties, and you were asking them some questions of like, okay, like what what's that like to actually come into some cash and and learn how to handle that well and and work and how does that relate to work? And and towards the end of that podcast, um, Bart said something extraordinarily simple. And beautiful and helpful. Basically, if if you're the kind of person that has good character, and you're the kind of person that really throws themselves into their work, guys, you're gonna do well. Like yeah. it, it's gonna go okay. You know, you're you're you'll get recognized. You'll that's the kind of person that gets entrusted with resources,
0: right? Yep. It was right. It was exactly that, I and mean, it was right at the very end of saying, you know it's not necessarily getting in the right place at the right time or investing in the right thing it's if you just do like an honest day's work which is <laughs> i hate that phrase for some reason but if you carry yourself with integrity and you you apply to yourself you're, you you apply yourself to what you're doing people will notice and like you will have opportunities open
1: yeah and that's that's the that's the practical expression of look the person you're becoming matters yes it really actually does matter and it is going to answer your other issues it's not like it's disconnected from it we're not just sitting around here you know trying to find an existential um integrity that's totally dissociated from the right but that guy
0: isn't being chosen because he's got the best looking bow tie exactly right there's some it's... something else that you're working out. who's there. trustworthy
2: yes right it feels like there's a flip side to that too where i I don't remember what author this was, but you mentioned one time that a particular theologian interpreted the prayer, lead me not into temptation as, um, do not give me authority until I can handle it. Right. And like, I think that, you know, you're also seeing like, hey, man, if you're not in that uh, position that you wish you were in yet, like, honestly, it might be part of Jesus's kindness to you because you couldn't handle it yet. It would make your life worse. But if you become the kind of person who could handle it, like, yeah, it might be that that's
1: the story he has for you. Oh, my goodness. Um, This is a little side note, but I've counseled a lot of guys over the years. And the number of kings that I have counseled whose core issue is they were promoted too young, Um, you know, from the horrible story of the father that walks out when the boy's 12 and his parting words to the family is, you're the man of the house now, you know and then that 12-year-old boy takes it on his shoulders, right? Uh, to, to, you know, the more common scenarios of, you know, he, here is the gifted, bright, talented, rising star, and, you know, the church immediately makes him the youth pastor, or the company immediately puts him in charge of marketing, and, and suddenly um, things are being asked of him that are actually unkind. Um, and so that's, that is true. And that that brings me to the second cluster of podcasts. You you guys kind of had the C.S. Lewis, hey, student to student, let's swap some notes. And then you guys, you guys had in the series here a um, number of excellent podcasts inviting older men in to, to speak in to the situation. And I don't, I don't know if it was Robert Bly in Iron John, but somewhere I read just the sentence that the best thing you can do for a young man is put him in the company of an older man. Um, because there's just so much that gets processed, in in, in that living together. So here's what I want to do. I got a little um, a little back at you here. I want to name, want to name the podcast that you guys did with guests, um, and and I want you to say, here's what I wanted to say. Like here's the essence of that. Here's the here's the takeaway. Here's here's the nugget. Okay. All right. all right, all right. Let me, let me get limbered up. <laughs> yep, loosen up. Here you go. Ma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mark Evans. I
0: just immediately go to our intro about getting struck by lightning. Uh, I've just been hearing that too much. So I love that guy. For me, like Mark, Mark demonstrated um, and invited a way of handling passion and artistic dreaming. Um, in a world that would love to crush that and, and was inviting not the quick rise to success, not the here's the shortcut, not the, well, you know, if you can get this, then that, but the be open to where the sometimes very crazy visions are, are leading you mm. and, and to develop a fortitude that like our art, artistry and your heart and its uniqueness demands.
2: Yeah. I think that similarly, the two things that I loved in that podcast, like the first one was, um, Mark has a crazy life with God, like his way of talking about, you know, having Jesus split him up with a sword and climb inside. And like the two of them could then take on this foul spirit energy, it's crazy. (laughs) But like, uh, there's a level of like intimacy represented there, like um, to take his dreams seriously. He had to take his life with God, seriously, kind of in a word, like he really wanted to achieve something in art and he knew that that was going to require an alive heart. And therefore, like, there was just like, there was no separation between like his experience of like, uh, the spiritual story going on and his role as an artist. And then, you know, he, like, he's been doing the same kind of leather etching for more than 15 years and he's pushing boundaries now into other areas and I really look forward to publishing the follow-up conversation we did with him but you know he has that ACDC song that he likes long way to the top and like you know, to have an artist emphasize, like, yeah,
1: like... And a successful artist. I mean, we're not talking about a lightweight here. I mean, yeah, I he's mean, London studio, may open an L.A. studio. I mean, this, this is a guy who Saudi princes are buying his stuff, like, like you know, flying him around the world kind of thing. So right. this is a guy that's got some, some credibility to be saying these things right. about artistry and dream chasing and that stuff.
2: Yeah. And it just took a really long time, you know, I, he... We did an excerpt in the Ransomed Heart podcast that was just him talking about like, yeah, in the beginning, I literally hadn't done it yet and people thought it wasn't possible. I just knew it was possible and started moving into it. And then I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And like the story has a lot of up and downs, but I think the, the longevity of the time frame was pretty amazing. Okay. Next one. Craig DiMartino. That guy's awesome. Uh, a few things from Craig DiMartino come to mind right away and it, you know, world-class climber, Olympic medalist without a leg. Yeah. And you know, a guy who lives like with an incredible degree of nerve pain just all the time. Right. And you know, his story is pretty mind blowing. Um, but I think is especially in the end of that conversation when you know, when he started talking about like, uh, what it's like to be in pain and how you respond to it. And as Sam pointed out, I think it was actually seeing like, wow, this, this is a guy who can push himself incredibly hard. Like he can push himself to Olympic levels, who's learned when not to push himself. And he, he would talk about like, you know, there are days that I know that like relationally like I will be a mess and I arrange my day like um, you know uh, to reflect that reality and there are times when I know that I actually like need to talk to a doctor about painkiller like when I need to get some help in my time and I will do that mm. and for someone who is you know like a lifelong athlete to hear them talking about like um, also having a, de- a highly developed amount uh, of self-awareness, self-care, patience for himself. Like that's a pretty incredible contrast.
0: Yeah. So I think for me, I, I was wrestling with like, what brings that guy back into climbing? Um, some questions that, you know, Morgan will ask around here is who are you apart from your gifting? And there's a trajectory of, of Craig Martino's story where climbing was his gifting and then it was taken away from him and he chose to go back into it and and there's something there of um his story now looks very different and he's able to live and he had, had a lot of choices in stepping back into it was it like the desperate i need to do this was it the i do not exist apart from this was it this is what my heart comes alive doing so even if i'm not going to do it well i'm going to do it and yet hearing his story like he moves towards other adaptive athletes and he teaches and he like his family is around it and i I remember asking him like what is it what's a message that you would tell your kids um and i th- i think i remember thinking to myself in his answer oh i don't know that you fully recognize just some of the assumptions you're making mm. that and how that's going to affect your family mm. um that's mm. something i was struck by
1: okay then you had sam Jolman.
0: yeah so for sam to to come in and talk about these these aspects of our life that blaine and i are just kind of entering in on i think selfishly i was getting more out of that than trying to ask questions that might be helpful for a a broader audience because as he was talking about what are adventures now that they've got three young kids and how does he fight for his wife and romance now that they've got three kids i'm sitting here going tell me this isn't something that i'm super familiar with and susie and i just went to costco what earlier this week for the first time for the first time. And it was, it was soul crushing. I, okay. It's not the first time I've not, I've been in there. I used to run errands and go shopping at Costco all the time, which is why I'm set up to be soul crushed when I walk into that place anyway. But I remember his words of like, it's an adventure and it it can be an adventure as a family to get in and get your things and get out together and to like be loving each other well in the midst of it. Um, it felt very real. It felt very hopeful. and, to- and totally applicable to where Suze and I are at right now.
2: Yeah, I think two things come to mind right away. The first one is, it's so and Sunsey, but we didn't set him up to say it. But, you know, that, well, the whole first part of the episode was, in order to love a woman, you need to invest in your own heart. Like, the best thing you can do to be a lover is to learn to become a man. Like, the best thing you can do to become a romantic is to like learn more of your own story, more of the territory of your heart, what makes it come alive, like what were you designed for, what are your dreams like. That's just a is a it's like dead center what we've been talking about in this and every episode of like right, kind of the best thing you can actually do um in any of these other areas like, you know, work, romance is to invest in your own soul with God. It's pretty crazy the other thing in that conversation was his line which was also from the article that romance is nothing more than the adventure of loving a person like one crazy framework but also i just think you know in my life with emily right now like you know we like we ha- we ha- we take a six month old with us on date nights like and that you know affects what it's like to <laughs> maybe be in a restaurant. Like kind of limits your options. It does limit your options. Um But, you know, it as M and I recently, um this was a number of months ago, but you know, was talking about her own desire for like romance in our relationship while we have a baby. And she kind of like ended up as we were processing coming up with um realizing that what she wanted was like, oh, like in action that says, like, I see you as, as, as significant as an action that says, I love you. Like, um, and what, how it tied together for me was like, oh man, there is this, um, there is this current adventure of loving her right now, which is like figuring out how to like, you know, show that I love what she's doing with her time or like show that I see what her dreams are. And that ends up being Hmm. like incredibly romantic, even if it's just like very small gestures of like, Hey, I went by the library and I saw this book that's you know about women and culture and like you love that stuff and I grabbed it for you and like and that's super romantic because it's part of the adventure of loving her. So truly,
1: truly, two more um, in in the cluster of hey, let's bring some older guys in and and get their thoughts on on uh, their world um, and ours. You had Bart and John as we mentioned on. Um, money and handling, handling money. What, what's the nugget there that.
0: Yeah. So definitely loved what we already mentioned that Bart had said, loved that piece of uh, it's more of who you are and and how you do things than necessarily what you do and when you do it Um, and doors will open. But I found it really encouraging to listen to Bart and JD talk about their different journeys and actually how much of it felt familiar and out of their hands. Like I, I feel that familiar kind of pulled a hustle now in my late twenties and certainly felt it like throughout my twenties. Um, uh, I wonder how it's gonna feel in my thirties since I will not be a millionaire by the time that I'm 30. Um, and a lot of it also felt like um, their story was either them operating on their own and trying to make things happen and seeing the ramifications of that, or in both stories, that shift to operating with other people or operating with God. And like the stories were just a night and day difference mm-hmm. from that shift.
1: Yeah, there
2: was. That was a good, that was good. Yeah, I think those things, I think it's really difficult around money to resist this impulse that's just more, it's more money, like a better job. A more like a more established, safe, uh, influential situation. Like that seems to be, you know, and we fight so hard against that, but that seems to be what money means. And I think this one was pretty advicey, but it was great of having, you know, uh, Bart talk about like, yeah, actually, when we were asking like, what was one of the things that made the difference for you when you started experiencing losses? And how Bart just said like, yeah, at the beginning, my partner and I, uh you know found the level that we were gonna live at and then we stayed at that forever like we like all the way through that business and just talking about like um having to have a really aggressive strategy to separate Mm -hmm. what his life was like and where his character was developing from what his work looked like it was achieving like he effectively like made those fears different. Yeah, Like my life's not going to be better when I'm making more money. And it's actually not going to be worse when I'm making like less money. Like yeah. how I live with my family is kind of an independent thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm struck by, um, so when I was just getting ready to marry mom in 1983, um, there was an older guy in my life um, who had a pool company and uh, no college education, fatherless guy, um, and he was just telling me what one day he said. You know, Johnny he said, "I I actually never sought any of this. I, I didn't set myself out to say I want to be the guy that owns his own company. I want to have a really successful pool company. I want to have a bunch of employees." He said, "I I just kind of stayed true to God, and and this happened like this was a gift to me, um, and that stuck with me because for ten years." Mom and I ate off a card table that was loaned to us by her mom. Like, we had nothing. You didn't even own the card table. We didn't even own the card table that was our dining room table. And, um, and it was that, that idea of, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Mm-hmm. You know, s- seek first the kingdom, and these things really actually will be added to you. And the success that has come along in our story has been gift, um, and gift that we did not chase we were chasing other things and that that just happened to come along um and 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 just back to the idea of happiness like those were incredibly happy days mm. like we love those days the, the, there was nothing wrong with those days um okay um last one in the cluster of older guys and then and then i've got something that i i think is is pretty huge to the overall um audience of young men jeff Vanderstelt you had him on recently what was the what's the big takeaway there yeah I mean I really like Jeff
2: Vanderstel I think there were like a lot of things in that conversation for me that were like oh that's really helpful that's really helpful I mean, honestly that guy talks so fast <laughs> <He did>. like <laughs> he did. you know it's like he's like speed reading out of a book when you ask him a question about anything that's inside his wheelhouse so it was like wait that was a good point wait, wait that was a good point like you know um You know, putting it in slightly different language. You could tell he talked about it a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, not his first time.
2: But I think um, when you were talking about, like, hey, like, we wanted to know what made community hard. We wanted to know what things that would, like, damage a community. And, like, what he kind of came back, kept coming back to in slightly different language. But he's like, yeah, actually, like, you know, um, what each person in the community like believes and understand about Jesus and the kingdom is going to be like totally fundamental to whether or not the community succeeds or not. Like if everybody, if, if people get it, like get what's available in Jesus, understand how he affects their life, like have a kingdom worldview, like a lot's going to be possible that otherwise mm-hmm. like you're going to incline to fall apart. And like, I just like that. I know I expected him to drill on that foundation and like, He really did join that foundation. And then, um, you know, he had that great, when Sam pointed out to him, like, wow, the kind of vulnerability that you're talking about sharing one of those stories, it sounds great. And I'm also really scared of it. And, you know, Jeff just came back with like, oh, well, I really believe that, you know, the thing that people want is always also the thing that they're afraid of. Yeah, I mean, that just feels so true and so helpful of like, you know, you want more intimacy in your friendships, but like you are afraid of what that is going to cost. And so you pull back and, or what that's going to be, what that might risk. And so you don't do it. And like those things ride really closely together, like what we're afraid of and what we really desire. And like knowing that and learning how to navigate that's pretty huge. Yeah, it is.
0: So beyond all of his points on community, cause there's like, there's a ton in there and that was really the, the focus. Um, Something that actually struck out to me was his language of what social media is doing to community because we all are aware of it and we're kind of playing with the best way to describe it. And he called it social pornography and that it promises something that it doesn't deliver, but we can kind of keep going back to it because it's it's easy and it's it's quick. Gives the
1: feeling of community.
0: And I, like, I hadn't heard that phrase before personally, um, and we moved on from it pretty quickly, but I found myself just kind of sitting with that as i listened back through it going man that is that is totally spot on for where we are right now as a culture of so many different areas but in this case community this this offer this promise of connection of knowing of being known the way that your brain reacts to being known is like created this sharing culture and that's actually supposed to take place in an actual context not in this pseudo space, um, that can do good, but in this case really Mm -hmm. promises something that it doesn't deliver. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, shifting towards, um, maybe the the last thing we'll talk about on this show, what you guys are offering is so valuable, um, to help millennials talk about their context. Here is our context here. Here is where we are at in space, and in time, and in culture. Uh, that, that is incredibly helpful for any human being to do. Um, so t- two more quotes, um, and then I, I want I want us to riff on this. Um, first, uh, Anglican theologian, Julia Gata, says that it falls to every generation to rediscover the treasure of the gospel. And I love that. Um, for a number of reasons, um, the invitation that it does have to be rediscovered. It's, we have the faith once delivered, but every generation has to rediscover the treasure in the field, you know, and see the wonder of it and, 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 but also for their generation, like it, because it does have to be contextualized. It does have to be, here's what that means for us who just you know who are looking for work after a massive recession. Here's what that means for us who are trying to find community in the midst of this brand new massive explosion called social community and and those kinds of things. You're you're offering people a wonderful service to name some realities of your context. Um, and given that, given that we had a, I came into um, you guys' office the other day and and asked you a question i I, and the question went this what is the effect of living in a culture where exposure expose investigative journalism debunking um unmasking is is literally a daily occurrence now hey you thought this corporation was great guess what they're ruining the rainforest. Hey, you thought this politician was wonderful? Guess what? They hit all this cash in, in, in South America. Hey, you thought that, you know, on and on and on that, you know, that phone company that you guys love, guess what? They're actually ripping you off by da-da-da-da. Like, like holy cow, like over time, that, the effect of that on the ability of a young person to believe, mm. to, to it, it is so erosive. Of just the confidence to believe in anything, um, and and while I believe in investigative journalism and that sort of thing, there, there's something about the culture of expose, the culture of debunking, um, the culture of "aha," you know, we we just unmasked another thing that is actually really toxic. Um, and okay, so let me back up. So Alan Bloom. Um, wrote a very famous book back in the 80s um, called The Closing of the American Mind. Um, now, th- this is this is a guy to, to pay attention to. Taught at Yale, taught at Cornell, uh, ran an institute at the University of Chicago, very, very respected um, philosopher, social analyst. And, and, and here's the opening of this book on the closing of the American mind. He says, there's one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of, almost every student Entering the university believes, or says he believes, that truth is relative. If this belief is put to the test, one can count on the student's reaction. They will be uncomprehending. That anyone would regard the proposition as not self-evident astonishes them, as though he were calling into question 2 plus 2 equals 4. These are things you don't think about. The student's backgrounds are as various as America can provide. Some are religious, some atheists. Some are to the left, some to the right. Some intend to be scientists, some humanists, or professionals, or businessmen. Some are poor, some rich. They are unified only in their relativism and in their allegiance to equality." He goes on. The relativity of truth is not a theoretical insight, but a moral postulate, the condition of a free society, or so they see it. Okay that it is a moral issue for students is revealed by the character of their response when challenged. A combination of disbelief and indignation. Are you an absolutist? The only alternative they know, uttered in the same tone as, do you really believe in witches? The latter leads into indignation for someone who believes in witches might well be a witch hunter or a Salem judge. And then here's, here's the, this is the culture that shaped your moment, okay? The danger they have been taught To fear from absolutism is not error, but intolerance. Relativism is necessary to openness, and this is the one virtue, the only virtue, which all primary education for more than 50 years has dedicated itself to inculcating. Openness, and the relativism that makes it the only plausible stance in the face of various claims to truth and various ways of life— and kinds of human beings is the great insight of our times. Here's how he concludes. The true believer is the real danger. The study of history and of culture teaches that all the world was mad in the past. Men always thought they were right, and that led to wars, persecutions, slavery, xenophobia, racism, and chauvinism. The point, it's not to correct the mistakes and really be right. Rather, it is not to think you are right at all. And so that erosive thing of look, <clears> that the, the best posture we can we can take is is a um, the humility of an embraced doubt. Right, that doubt is a virtue. That doubt is doubt is the operating kind of zeitgeist of the millennial age, right? Because otherwise you, you're you're at best a jerk and and worse, you' you're probably intolerant and and um, oppressive, uh, probably racist, right? <clears throat> probably a misogynist. I mean on and on it goes because so because because you've had this corrosive corrosive, corrosive thing going on, um, eroding truth, eroding, Reality, you know, you, you went into this on in your postmodernism podcast, so I won't revisit all of that. But here's your gift. Your gift is, you know, actually, hang on. Hang on, friends. There are actually things to believe in. Yes. There are actually still things in the world that are good and beautiful and true and 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 that are actually very worth believing in and and that that's that's a stunning gift to your peers and to this to this millennial moment in time because because of the assault and both the philosophical assault that you covered in your postmodernism podcast but then also this other sort of social assault that's been this Expose, you know, debunking, aha, we you know, there's just nothing that can be believed in anymore is the is the um unspoken effects of that. And so for you guys to step forward and go, well, actually, hang on a second. You know, we we understand where you're coming from and we have some empathy for that, but really there actually are there still is goodness, there still is beauty, there still is truth, there still is God there. There is a way things work, and and we'd actually love to kind of work together to try and recover those things.
0: Yep. I mean, without that, you understand the epidemic of hopelessness. Like, what began as a pushback against intolerance that lands in this kind of ambiguous nothingness, listlessness,
1: um, Purposelessness, yeah, you meaninglessness.
0: Right. I mean, the question is, how does that make you feel for today in this moment, if that's true? And now extrapolate that over your perceived future and tell me where you're getting your hope from. Um, so absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's just so huge. I, You're right on it. And, you know, we think that that very attitude, you know, the kind of triumph of, Um, popular relativism is like not only intellectually indefensible, it's actually like destructive. Like it is a um, unquestionably harmful um, worldview. And so I think what we do try to show by example, and what's cool even to find in the people we end up interviewing is like, no, like there's a way you can learn about the world that is more helpful than other way and much more accurate and true. And there are valuable beliefs that you can actually use to think about and organize your time. Like that would actually change a young man's life.
1: Yes. It's something to stand on. It's something that you can actually begin to live out and work with. And I love the posture because the posture is, is like, um, Philip when he goes to find Nathaniel, um, He's and, and he says, "Hey, you're not going to believe this. You know, we just found this really cool thing. In this case, the Messiah." And Nathaniel's like, "Really?" And Philip's like, "Come and see." I, I love those three words. Mm. Come, come and see. C- yeah. c- come and check it out. Like it's it's going to blow your mind. It's worth checking out. I'm telling mm. you, it's it's real. Yes. Right. And and that's. Um, it falls to every generation to rediscover and redispense the treasure of the gospel and it feels like you guys are are taking a really big swing at that in in this opening season and congratulations for it and looking forward to season 2 can't wait yeah do i do i ever get invited back on the show
0: <laughs> yeah we're going to have you back sometime <laughs> in season 2 not just as the closer we have thoughts on that so excited for what's uh what's in store what we're dreaming up for for season 2 thanks for coming by today Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You need to be sure to subscribe now and follow us on social media under Ansons Magazine.
2: And of course, for articles and films, check out ansonsmagazine.com.